I see a, a bloom or a blossom happening right now that's very similar to the enlightenment. You know, like this is right time, right place, right technology, right people, right everything. And so like we're watching this wave come through where the consciousness of people is being raised because they can't just rudimentally trust institutions who are undeserving of that trust anymore. And this is causing for this ontological thought process of like, well, who am I in the world? Like, what does it mean that money is this corrupt? What does it mean that my government is this corrupt? Like that these sort of crimes against humanity are performed. What can I do against that? And I think all of these contemplations coming together with Bitcoin allow for this very powerful response. The biggest part is, is people really coming to realize their own power and self-sovereignty in that and us building the tools in order to actualize that. We're going to stand up, we're going to flex hard, and we're essentially going to reclaim all of these different areas of our lives that were never supposed to be sacrificed to government. This is our money system. It doesn't belong to anybody else. And anybody who comes in with their stupid ideas telling us how Bitcoin is supposed to be, they can just go fuck themselves. They approach the chessboard thinking that there's like still plays that they can make. And they don't realize that like we've had them in checkmate for a while and we've just been waiting for them to become present to what's going on on the board. Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Eric Kaysen. Eric is a well-known person in the Bitcoin community. He's been in this space a long time. And personally, I've read articles by a lot of people. I've listened to a lot of people on different podcasts. And Eric is someone who's not only stood out to me as someone who can really articulate Bitcoin in a unique way, but he also incorporates Bitcoin into a very well-thought-out ethical framework, namely the framework of anarchism or pure libertarianism, which I think is the place that a lot of Bitcoiners end up when you really start thinking about the nature of property rights and with this new tool of cryptography, which represents a complete paradigm shift in the nature of property rights. Ultimately, that sends you down a rabbit hole of really having to reassess your entire approach to everything from property rights to violence to government and politics and everything in between. And no one does a better job than Eric of not only articulating this paradigm shift, but also his energy and the unapologetic nature of how he speaks. I think serves to remind us that the cypherpunk spirit definitely is still alive and no more so than in the Bitcoin community. All right, I hope you enjoy the episode. As always, if you enjoy it, please give it a like and a share. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, welcome. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes. And if you enjoy this episode, I'm sure you will enjoy some of the previous episodes as well. So go check those out. And as always, you can help the podcast out by giving a tip. You can tip via Bitcoin on-chain and on the Lightning Network. Just check the links in the description for those. And there's also a Buy Me A Coffee link there if you want to donate with Fiat. Special shout out to Chez, who donated five coffees recently. Really appreciate that, Chez. And thank you to everyone else who's already donated. Every donation helps with the cost of running the podcast. All right, on to the episode. So yeah, man, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to, to speak to you. Nice. Thanks for having me. And uh, sorry, Mr. Original first message, just uh, things were a bit hectic a while back. So no, no, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't, um, we weren't following each other on that account. So, you know, I did think, okay, maybe it's been missed because it happens all the time to me that the messages get miss, mixed. But uh, yeah, I kind of thought like I, I wanted to have this conversation at some point. So I, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it another try. And um, 
you know, so I'm glad, I'm glad we eventually uh, got to do this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I listened to your podcast intro and uh, yeah, it sounds like we're aligned in some of the pursuits. Oh yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, of course. All right, cool. So just um, for the sake of my audience, would you mind going into who you were before Bitcoin? Because obviously I know you as a Bitcoiner and people in the Bitcoin community know you as that. And they know obviously quite a lot through, through your writing and stuff about your your um, your background there. But who who was Eric Kaysen before, before you came to Bitcoin? Great question. Uh, I graduated from San Francisco State in... What was it 2007? Uh, I traveled internationally a lot. And so when I got back to the US, the economy had nuked itself. And so I kind of jumped around from random startup to random startup doing shitty tech support work that made me unhappy. Um, and then when the Occupy movement came along, I jumped on that very enthusiastically, believing that, you know, we could politically change the course of the world if we wanted. On the fallout of that, I realized that, you know, the disorganization and the you know, frankly, illy thought out ramifications of what was going on made everything kind of collapse into itself. And that left me with a pretty crushing depression. And in that somebody had actually told me about Bitcoin, and I just kind of like put a book bookmarker there. And so in the following sort of summer and fall, I started just kind of digging into Bitcoin a little bit. This is about uh, what is this? 2011 or so. So I'm kind of picking at it, looking at it a little bit. And then through 2012, I started getting much more intrigued and interested in it. Um, and for me coming from the Occupy movement, the big thing was, was that I realized money was the problem. Like it, it was, it was very clear to me that because of the corruption of money and the corruption of the financial establishment, that money was inherently the problem. Uh, so it really took me a couple of years of kind of digging through uh, Austrian economic literature because I was quite familiar with Keynesian monetary and economics from uh, my undergraduate study of international relations and history. But it was through reading Keynesian economics, uh, you know, several theorists from Mises to, to Frederick von Hayek that I really started to understand the problem with having a government in control of money and why the independence of money was so important. Um Let's see, kind of got through that that fall and winter. Uh, 2013, I started talking with the guys at Coinbase because I knew that they had Fiat Rails and that seemed pretty important. And then by the fall of that year, I'd got myself in at Coinbase and started working with them. Uh, and that set off, you know, a pretty long course of just being involved technically in the space and kind of with everything that was going on. Um, and for me, kind of the the stuff started to really shift pretty significantly for me when I started asking different questions. And for me, the, the most kind of essential question was like, what, like, what is Bitcoin actually trying to do? Like what, what, what is its actual essence? And for me, the big one was that like that essence, that seems to hold and protect an oath towards its own supply and schedule in a way that no institution, no man, no government, uh, as far as I can tell, nothing seems to have that same relationship towards the oath with the exception of other mathematical languages. And so for me, that kind of set off a whole nother concourse where I started getting really deep into philosophy and kind of uh, just dealing with a lot of these deeper questions that are a bit more esoteric that don't necessarily seem related to Bitcoin. But I find that tangentially they have a very strong relationship. Yeah. Okay. I, I definitely want to get into some of those those things a bit later, but just sticking to um, the kind of beginning 
um, at least for yourself, of, of kind of having that first touch with Bitcoin. When do you remember your actual for like the first time that you were exposed to it? You said it was something to do with Occupy. Like, was that a conversation someone had or how did that go? It was literally like a passing conversation of like some random anarchist and like a hood and like a black clad mask was like, hey, there's this thing, Bitcoin. It's like really important. You should like look into it. Uh, and that was it. And so like a few months later, I remember seeing, I think it was like a Wired article about it. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. But I like went through all of the pretty standard like 101 questions of like, well, can it be hacked? Like, oh, like can't somebody manipulate, you know, and like sort of each successive question that I had that I got the answer to, like took me a level deeper. Uh, and frankly, it's kind of been that process for like the last decade. Like each time I sort of answer a question for myself, it branches off into several other questions. And so I think for me, a lot of the touch points were first just getting it. Uh, and then as I got it, getting involved and realizing, uh, you know, like not only is there a chance to make money here, but this could actually be the solution to the political problems. And then really in my involvement, uh, being at Coinbase, I think probably about two years in there, stuff started to shift pretty significantly in that I realized there was a whole contingency of guys that were there just purely to make money. They didn't care about how that was being done or what was being done. And there was another contingent of people that were pretty hardcore anarchists who really got what was going on. Uh, and I found that through my relationships with them, I was able to, to go a lot deeper kind of into my own questions about both political and economic theory and sort of how does this all play out in the new digital world that we all seem to be living in. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, yourself and I'm, I'm the same, like have somewhat of a similar kind of beginning there. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get into Bitcoin until 2016, but I kind of came from the left as well. And it sounds like um, we're similar in the sense that we had these like what we probably at that point and, you know, definitely now would have said like a quite far left views. I mean, obviously correct me if I'm wrong in all of this, but like, um, yeah, I saw the, 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 the Occupy stuff happening and, you know, some of those other kind of movements happening at that time where it seemed like there was some momentum on the left and we were like, yeah, we're going to change things. You know, the corporations are evil, the, you know, but we never seemed to kind of get to the root cause of what was wrong with the money. And for me, when I kind of realized in 2016 Oh, the money, the money is the problem. Like that's, that's the root of all of this problem. It's not just big evil corporations. It's the whole nature. Like you go a level further. You can't have to even zoom out from that and say, what's wrong with the money. And that's when I have my kind of realization that, you know, not only was Bitcoin, um, the, the most worthy pursuit, but also all of these other kind of like leftist ideas that I had kind of fell away in the face of that. Was that similar for you? Yeah, it was quite similar in that, um, because like I, I'm actually quite well read uh, both in Marxism and Marxist theory. And it really wasn't until I started approaching the economic side uh, in a much more thoughtful and pliable way, as opposed to there was a very authoritarian idea of like, hey, like Marxist economics is how we actually like seize corporations and expropriate in order to make things happen. And it wasn't until I started looking at the economic theory around uh, both violence and the politics of it that I started to realize I was like, oh, like that's not a nice way to exist. And also it seems that this is a path to hell because I started becoming much more aware of the historic ramifications of how socialism played out in the 20th century. And again, a lot of people like to play the dialogue of, you know, that's not real socialism, but uh, we don't have any other examples. So it seems to be real socialism. Um, and I found a lot of those same leftist ideas, they still hold. 
Um, the big problem is, is that like this, this notion of right left is such a farcical bullshit thing at this point in time. Um, and I want to rip my hair out anytime I talk to Republicans or Democrats in the way that their childish finger pointing is just destroying the entirety of the American project. Uh, and particularly when both of them seem to have the same deep latent authoritarianism that wants to strip the other class of any rights that they have. And for me, like, this is where the political theory starts getting so important is like, why does the state of emergency like have this ability to always overcome legally established constitutional laws? Like it can always just like fucking throw them out the window and be like, well, you're a terrorist. So we're just going to beat and torture you until, you know, we feel satisfied with whatever answers we get. And for me, that's one of the things about Bitcoin that I realized was so radical was this apoliticalness that the code offers. There's no ability to overcome it with a state of emergency or a declaration or as you know, as far as I can tell, or anybody else at this point in time, there literally is no way to overcome the rule set and make it work for you, which is like the inherent problem that all of this has came out of politics. So for me, it was really when that clicked into place, that's kind of where I went to another level. And for me, I started reading philosophy at this point in time. And like the first real philosophical text I picked up was, uh, it's by an Italian philosopher named Giorgio Ambigen. And he has a whole series called Homo Secur. And one of the books in that is called The Sacrament of the Oath, or, or The Sacrament of Language, uh, the, the Archaeology of the Oath. And in this, he essentially does this deep historic analysis of like what the oath is and how it functions. And his discovery was more or less that like anytime somebody took an oath in antiquity, like they were essentially staking their own life inside of that oath. And so if they broke the oath, someone could kill them. And that's essentially the function the state has today is that our relationship is subjects to them. So, hey, look, if you break your oath to the state, we now have a right to come after you and kill you and do whatever we want to. Uh, and this was all hugely problematic in a monetary system where if somebody starts issuing and controlling money however they want, they can essentially manipulate the entire establishment, which lo and behold, that's exactly where we've been for the last 50 years. Um, yeah. And so for me, coming to terms with all of these things that helped me deal with some of my far left perspectives and specifically it helped me, uh, a lot of my far left ideas came from a real place of desperation and a place of desperation enough that wanted to involve uh, violent seizures of means, you know, and, and not some so nice behaviors. And I think from my exposure both to Austrian economic theory and anarchist political theories on a whole, I realized that like the axiom of violence just doesn't work. Like that's a trap that once you get caught into it, it, it just sort of spins itself out into horrific proportions that most of us can't comprehend. Yeah. I mean, I would say that even if it did work according to some definite, some definition of what works, it would still be wrong there. Right. Because essentially, you know, th this is something, um, you know, you mentioned there that you, you kind of got into philosophy and ethics and stuff. And ultimately I think that this stuff eventually goes into the realm of philosophy and ethics and it goes out of the realm of politics when you really start like digging into it because once I started abandoning my kind of far left ideas you know really upon the discovery of bitcoin and going down that route and being like okay let's let's uh, learn about money let's learn about austrian economics and stuff where i ended up was you know even if you could have this egalitarian society by taking from the rich and giving to the poor. If those people have earned their wealth in a consensual way and people have voluntarily traded for their goods and services, 
why should anyone be able to come and take their stuff from them? So even if you could ultimately have, you know, wealth, uh, equal wealth dis distribution, et cetera, like that doesn't mean that that necessarily is an ethical outcome. The ethical outcome is, you know, that people are able to trade freely. And if someone is able to get more wealthy because they're providing goods and services that other people want, that's actually more, that's actually more overall beneficial, you know? So, um, yeah, ultimately I kind of, um, kind of came, came down that route and, came to that realization that like we're using the, the, the wrong measuring stick, you know, people on the left are using the completely wrong measuring stick, which essentially gets you nowhere um, in society. Yeah. And, and that mistake of having the wrong measuring stick is extremely dangerous. And, and, and I have empathy, you know, coming from this perspective of that, that far left perspective goes, look, like the, like the money is fucked inherently. So like, at least if we seize the money and we're the one fucking it, we can at least like fuck the people that we want to fuck. Uh, and then it's like, well, hang on though. You're like fucking people. And like, that's like inherently an ethical problem. And for me before Bitcoin, there, there was no conceivable way of solving this issue outside of that. And to me, like, this is also one of the places where some of my thinking has evolved and why I believe Bitcoin to be ontological is that the way it explicitly solves these problems that before Bitcoin were inherently unsolvable is extremely important. And to me, this is actually a space where uh, philosophy and politics actually start to merge into a single item. And it's because specifically the way that we have thought about all of these things for so long haven't allowed for us a wider space to think of it in a philosophical sense. Just because, in my opinion, after World War II, like anything that resembled an ethical praxis or process was just like thrown out the fucking window. And we, we've essentially came upon the liquidated back end of all of that stuff, which frankly, for, you know, and again, with the leftists, is it, there was an extremely deep sense of nihilism that goes with it. And an important part of that nihilism is there, there literally is nothing. There, there's no God, there's no higher power, there's nothing good, there's no good, there's no evil. So like, why not take this extreme Maoist approach where it's just like, be cool with killing people and hurting people and needing to do those things in order to get what you want. Um, and again, I empathize with it because it seems like the only real answer in our world of real politique where violence has solved problems for so long. And again, that's why I think understanding Bitcoin at this core level is so important because it solves these very, very nasty human problems that as they spun out of control in the 20th century, like led to, you know, millions of people being killed in genocides and things like that. So, um, yeah. And I, and, and I, again, I just really want to emphasize, I totally empathize with the leftist perspective. It just comes from a fundamental lack of understanding of certain aspects that are involved both on the economic side and the political side. Yeah. So when you made that, that change from those kind of having those, those far left ideas and then learning about Austrian economics, learning about libertarianism, anarchism, and, and kind of having that transition, did you find, how did you find that, that journey, like on a personal level, you know, in terms of both, you know, for instance, your, your friends and your community and stuff who might've still held those, those previous beliefs, did anyone come along with you on that journey or was it kind of like quite a lonely, lonely road? And also how did that feel in, in terms of your own like fulfillment and, you know, your own experience of the world, did you feel, because um, personal, personally for me, like I, I felt that once I moved away from these far left ideas, like you use the word nihilism there. And I felt like I moved away from nihilism a lot and kind of, you know, upon 
learning about these ideas, I took so much more um, self-responsibility and, you know, personal responsibility for, for my actions that actually improved my life considerably. So I'm interested to know how that journey was for you. Yeah. Um, and before going into that, what I think is really interesting is, is like, this is actually a pretty common experience of people having this recovery from leftism and nihilism vis-a-vis -vis Bitcoin. Uh, and it's really weird, it, uh, like super cool, but very strange that it's came up repeatedly again and again with people. Um, and for me, it was, uh, it, it was a difficult and lonely journey, you know, and it's funny because internally things felt much better for me because I moved away from my depression, from my nihilistic viewpoints, from, uh, feeling a lack of purpose or meaning in the world. Um, but as I tried to relate to people about this and tell them about it and encourage it, uh, it put a lot of tension in personal relationships. And I lost a number of friendships because of it, because, you know, we, we did relate on, those political principles and as i kept trying to you know encourage them hey like this bitcoin thing is really important you need you really should look into this uh you know like i gave you know bitcoins away to to friends and family members and others that i wanted to encourage and they'd almost always turn around and sell it at like a 10 percent gain or something um and so it, it was really lonely and and really for several years there like i i thought i was kind of crazy um and to be honest with you, it, the reason it worked was because uh, being crazy and feeling a sense of purpose outside of nihilism felt like 100% better than feeling like a normal person who was nihilistic. Um, and as I've gotten deeper into this, like it's just moved more and more into this extreme direction of both positivity, soulfulness, connecting, because so many other people see this same the same mission. Um, and it's just super satisfying because really before Bitcoin, it was so rare that I would meet individuals that I felt were dynamic and thoughtful and out in the world creating things and feeling powerful. And now like that's like a pretty normal and standard interaction with the people that I know and interact with. And it's really exciting because feeling that communal rising of consciousness where we all get what we're doing is important. It's for the future that, you know, we are making the real and substantial changes that we want is so much more fulfilling and beyond anything I was looking for before. You know, I, I wasn't looking to, you know, get rich. I wasn't looking to participate in powerful startups. I wasn't looking to build anything special or be a public speaker or anything. But with the invitation of all of these things coming along, uh, it's much more fulfilling than anything I could have thought of before, which is why I continue to you know, come on shows like this and produce my own work. And, you know, like I don't I don't make money or get paid for what I'm doing, but it's because I sincerely want to know the answers to these questions. And I feel like as an individual with the position I'm in, I'm privileged enough to spend time reading philosophy and asking these questions and getting to speak my truth as well. You know, there's nobody out there to fire me, which is, is something that uh, is like a very real worry for a lot of people. So um, yeah, I, I think that that ideal of being able to find something that can recover you from that nihilism and that relationship to Bitcoin is this really powerful and intriguing space that I want to know more about, and I'm, you know, like personally in, investing and investigating more of my own time into it. Yeah, yeah, it really, it, it just keeps sucking you in, doesn't it? And, um, you know, I kind of found that since, since first getting into Bitcoin. It's just like, you feel the more that you go into it, the more you want to kind of give to it. And I think that's why 
so many people and you know at the moment especially there's this talk about how you know bitcoin has some of the characteristics of a religion and stuff because it's almost like you you feel that you want to continue to contribute to this thing you know the more that you see its benefits like obviously in your own life and other people's life and you know for the world as a whole and its ability to kind of bring about you know to kind of like um bring it's almost like a, if you imagine how, how you have like the 10 commandments well bitcoin is almost like you're in, you're you're inscribing um, these certain principles within Bitcoin, within code, that's kind of unbreakable. It's almost like this this unshakable uh, thing that we have to live by. But the principle is generally good. It's good for everyone who participates in the network, and it's good for everyone who participates positively and wants to be a positive actor. And if you're not a positive actor, you know you get forked off. You know you can't you can't um, participate. So it's almost like um, it, it shakes people into this into this new state and. There seems to be something there that, yeah, you you go on a you go on a personal journey with it. You know, it starts off just about um, money and stuff, but then it, it almost kind of like takes takes up more and more areas of your life, and and you know you want to, to do and contribute more and more. And uh, I know that you've talked a lot about this idea of the messianic nature of Bitcoin. Um, would you mind just defining? Um, it's kind of, I guess, a difficult thing to to define, but just kind of riff on you know, what you, what that means to you and what you're trying to articulate when you talk about the messiah, the messianic nature of Bitcoin. Yeah, this is, this is one of the harder topics and it's also kind of inflammatory to some people because they hear that word and they, you know, get up in arms. So like Bitcoin isn't God. Uh, and I had a great conversation with some guys about it where I said, look, you know, like, look, it is of God. And it's not because it inherently has any divine principles about it. It's because it, in a metaphysical sense, like it is bonded into physics and mathematics itself. And all of these features of cryptography have always been available in the cosmos. It's only been within, you know, the last 70 years that we've discovered these discrete secrets that seem to be tucked inside of mathematics. Uh, and to me, what seems to be very clear is that like cryptography as a language explicitly reserves the ability to keep secrets for itself. And in our world where we live in a panoptic state where everything is trying to be surveilled for all reasons, uh, the ability to keep a secret seems to unfold itself as something truly messianic because we need to look at these ideas in terms of the extremeness of the brinkmanship of the society that we live within, you know, because we're talking about the possibility of nuclear war right now, the catastrophe that could destroy all biological life on the planet. Uh, fuck that. Like, that's not something I ever fucking signed up for. And the fact that people can create a world where things like that can occur uh, is ludicrous. And the very fact that I can abscond from needing to be forced into that and then I can protect my wealth in a thoughtful and meaningful way outside of the bounds of these systems, to me, is an extremely important thing. Because if we look at the historicism of man, uh, like for 5,000 years, it's pretty much a story of the guys having the power, utilizing that to brutalize and steal from the people who don't have the power. Uh, and the simple fact of that, like, we can disengage that relationship between violence and the extraction of wealth, to me, is an inherently messianic thing. But but what I think is really important is that the messianic aspect doesn't come from Bitcoin's actual existence in any meaningful way. It's much more about how we understand that and how seeing that explicitly has a turning inside of us that we realize uh, that like the eminence of cryptography is a true thing that like if I have my Bitcoin secured in 
my own address and I control that private key, like there is literally nothing that can happen in the universe to generate that number again. Uh, and like, this is a concept that's very difficult for most people to come to. And I find it really interesting because as you try to talk to them about it and they're like, well, yeah, but like, can't won't quantum computing just destroy that? And it's sort of funny because you realize that there's this disjunctive for most people where they realize that like, computers are literally magic internet boxes and like the, the, the di like code doesn't run this thing and that it's not subject to any commands. They just think it's like a magic box that does whatever they want. And that disconnects really important because by them not understanding that it's a real linguistic function that's operating all of these things, they, they think that technology is somehow outside of our hands and that we're captured by it. But it's that very explicit and deep relationship with cryptography and mathematics and that, the rule set alone commands it. And there is no outside state of emergency or crisis that can allow for us to violate the rules of mathematics. And the fact that we now have a relationship to this and that, that can protect us, to me, represents a form of messianism because of the way now I can protect things in a way that was never possible before. Um, does that kind of help address some of the topic? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And actually that, uh, segues onto, to something that I wanted to, to discuss with you, because again, you know, um, like I said to you before, before we started the recording, like, you know, a lot of my audience, you know, are not, are not Bitcoiners, you know, they, they are generally into kind of libertarianism and self-sovereignty and this kind of stuff, but, you know, haven't necessarily come to Bitcoin yet. And I want to, I want to ask you and get this in, in, in your words, why you think that, that Bitcoin is the superior store of value because you know a lot of people who will be listening to this you know they're going to be like okay well we should have gold or we we should have uh, you know silver and this kind of stuff or maybe even you know kind of go full uh you know prepper mode and getting tinned food or, or whatever it is but why why is bitcoin in your view the most um valuable way that we can store the product of our labor well, I think one of the problems with uh, gold and other hard assets is, is like the fundamental physicality aspect. You know, like I live in California where we have wildfires. Like I have had to evacuate my home in five minutes. Uh, and if I had like a bunch of gold that I had to get out of my safe, that would be a problem. It would also be a problem for these explicit fires because they're so hot. It would melt my safe. And so perhaps my gold would still be rescued, but I'd have to come back, dig it out of the ground. Uh, and this is just working for, you know, on the process of crisis. I, I think what's much more likely is someone explicitly wants to come and take all your shit from you, most likely the government. And we saw, you know, in 1932 that governments can always declare themselves legal purveyors of getting to take those things. Uh, and I think it would be pretty foolish to think that for some reason, if you have physical gold, that the government isn't going to not only know about it, but show up and steal it. And with Bitcoin, at least, uh, we can abscond with it easily. We just memorize our 12 words. You can cross the border. Nobody knows that you own it. Uh, even if they know that you own some finite amount of Bitcoin, it's very difficult to try to prove that you actually own it or still hold it. Uh, but most importantly to me is that those 12 words, unless you give them up to somebody willingly, like there's no way that anybody can get that. And so, yes, while the government can show up and torture you or blow you up or rip your eyes out or do whatever they want, you can still refuse to give them that capacity of that. 
And then also if we start dealing with techniques like multi-signature, like I keep most of my Bitcoin in multi-sig Bitcoin, it is a little bit more complex to deal with. But I do that explicitly because I don't want to have control over my Bitcoin. You know, I always want to have to go verify with somebody else that like, hey, I'm safe and that like, you know, nobody's holding a gun to my head to try to get all my Bitcoin. Um, And if there was a case where someone's holding a gun to my head, well, at least now I have a negotiable card of some kind. You know, I don't just have to deal with them pistol whipping me until I fork it over. Uh, But again, like this is all rudimentary at this point in time. And we haven't built up more complex methods of being able to actually secure our wealth. Because while what we have is infinitely better than what came before, it still needs a high amount of evolution in order to secure it in a meaningful and thoughtful way, which Bitcoiners seem to be developing at this point in time. There seems to be coming more and more projects and capacities to not only help protect your wealth, but developments of the protocol. Um, you know, like I'm really excited for frost signatures and the capacity that they enable with us having now taproot available in the network. And so uh, I expect we're going to continue to see these sort of developments and Bitcoin is going to continue to become more powerful and much more capable as a self-sovereign storage of wealth than gold or anything else for that matter. Um, and I think the the ability to keep it stored in your head and go anywhere on the planet is really important because if you're Ukrainian and you weren't well prepared before the Ukrainian war, chances are you've had to flee your home and you're not going back there at any point in time. So anything that you had there is most likely lost. And it's really tragic because like this is a pretty common story in humanity that people lose everything that they have because a war happens and it's totally out of their control. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I even think that, you know, you could really, with the way that the world is going now as well, physicality is just such a drawback. I mean, I know that people will say things like, oh, well, what if the internet gets turned off and these kind of things? But the idea that the internet will be kind of permanently turned off is extremely unlikely. But the idea that someone can come to your, come to your house and can take your, your gold or your silver. And, you know, as we know, when governments get into debt, there's almost nothing they won't do in order to, sustain their own existence, right? So if that means sending people with guns around to take your gold and silver, it's going to happen. You know, it happened in America. I mean, obviously, you could argue that it wasn't, you know, fully enforced and things like that. But, you know, the the sentiment was there that they they fully intended that everyone hand over their gold and their silver so they could devalue the currency. So, you know, these these things happen. And if you, if you have um, just precious metals, then you are completely exposed to those risks of it being a physical asset. And like you said, you know, you can, you can get on a plane with uh, like your seed phrase in your head and that's it. You can go anywhere in the world and it can, it can be redeemed and you can escape wars and stuff. Like it truly is like mind boggling. Like I still think about it now and, you know, I've been kind of in, in this space for like a good kind of six, six and a half years. And I still think about that concept, the idea that it is, you can just store words in your head and you can redeem your wealth anywhere that's so mind blowing, and, and I think that um, you know because we're still in the in the early phases, it yeah, it still still blows my mind a lot. But um, but yeah, I mean, well, um, I think the vast majority of people don't even recognize that like that is an inherent function that Bitcoin yeah. has available to it, and I don't think they recognize that. Uh, and this is the one I find more more interesting. I don't think people recognize that twelve words explicitly strung together in that structure like gives you access to to that sort of cryptography that's so powerful that we literally can guarantee that there's no conceivable way to use a supercomputer or any sort of computational process to randomly break that. 
Uh, and these are the sort of things that like when people get that, I feel like these are these huge light bulb, mo- light bulb moments that are really important. And I just want to emphasize also on, on the silver and gold aspect that like the paper markets of these things have been so thoroughly manipulated over time. And that like the, the game of trying to get as much gold as possible, even with uh, the 6102s and other things in the world, like that's been the banker's play object for centuries at this point in time. And so the idea that trying to accumulate gold or silver as this mechanism that's finally going to break the back of the banking and financial system, it's just ludicrous. Like these guys are already piled in on gold and other things and control a vast majority of it. And these are the same bastards that have created the problems that we have today. So my biggest problem with trying to utilize gold or silver for these purposes is we're getting into bed with the enemy. And so it doesn't make sense to me that like, even if we manage to somehow force a gold or silver standard to come back, the bankers are still in control of the vast majority of it. So it just doesn't make sense to me as a new sort of monetary system that is supposed to move away from it, all of the problems that we're trying to get away from. And I think that particularly for the sort of audience that we're speaking to, I think that that's a really important aspect to bring up with them. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we sometimes kind of arrogantly think now, oh, well, if we all just kind of go and buy gold and silver now, then we can kind of, you know, have the precious metals, we get rid of the fiat currency and all this kind of stuff. But the idea, you know, there's a reason that people stop doing that. There's a people, there's a reason people stopped custodying their gold and silver. This isn't a new thing. Gold and silver, you know, gold has been around, you know, I can't, I don't know how many thousands of years. And, and, you know, likewise, silver, <clears throat> these things have been used as, as currency for a long time. And people ultimately, they chose to give them to the bank, right? And to get the paper currency, to get the, you know, the numbers in the, in the bank account or to get the, the paper that they use. Like, We've already been through that process. People gave up their self-custody because it's very, very annoying to self-custody precious metals. So that's why people stopped doing it. So the idea that we're suddenly going to just try this again, it's like, well, we tried it, you know, and we came up with the innovation for that. It's called Bitcoin, right? Like, like Bitcoin is the thing that solves for the for that problem that led us to the fiat paradigm in the first place. So that's what I always come come back to with the precious metals. And you know, I'm not against I'm not against them in general. I think that you know, I, I still think that Bitcoin you know, personally for me, it should, it should be like the most of what you, what you store your wealth in should be in the hardest money. I think that, you know, having some diverse diversification, it's better to have it in precious, precious metals than to have it in fiat currency. But I think of the idea that gold is going to become the global reserve currency again, I mean, they might try to do it, you know, they might try to do it with kind of like China and, and Russia and some of these countries, they might try to do something like that. But ultimately, I don't think that it will hold because the interest of the individual is to be able to self-custody your money. And if even if they try to, you know, reignite another kind of precious metal-based um, global reserve currency, well, people still, their incentive is not to hold it because it's really annoying. So people will trend towards something else. And I think when you've got the majority of people saying, no, I want to hold my own wealth, they'll go to something like Bitcoin. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter what these kind of government powers say is the uh, the the, the currency or the kind of the backing for the currency. It doesn't matter what they say. If people choose the money they want, that will be the money of the globe. Well, and I think that, that this touches on, on an ethical point that that's really important is that, you know, the, we want Bitcoin not just to be able to have an unfuckable money system, but like the, the potentiality that having a monetary system that isn't controlled or manipulated by other people is 
really, really important. But furthermore, like this also points at why, uh, like in my opinion, the problem of shit coins and gold and fiat money, like it's, it's an infinite problem and it's an infinite problem because people don't understand how money works. And that's, what's so important about Bitcoin. Why I believe it's ontologically significant is like, I, I don't actually care about whether or not you hold Bitcoin. I care about whether or not you understand why Bitcoin has a value proposition. And like that understanding is why it's important. And that understanding is why people hold their own keys, why they manage UTXO sets appropriately. Like it is the the full pedagogical understanding of what Bitcoin is and how it gives you self-empowerment that I'm the most interested in. And I think that we've built a great culture developing that. We'll continue to develop that. Um but I think that like the this problem of whether or not people like I I'm really against the idea of, you know, like there's going to be one Bitcoin unitary standard that like runs the whole globe. No, like I'm I'm much more of a, a free money maximalist and and a Hayekian term of that. Like, I think shit coins are going to be a thing forever. And I think that's that is literally just a product of the fact that like we have now made a very simple and easy way to create money out of nothing. And there's always going to be slick talking scammers that are going to go, no, like you need to get in on my shit coin because we're going to, you know, and and like this is the inherent problem is that like uh, people have to go through their own process of getting suckered and scammed and convinced of all of the things. And in the, the exact same way that like we came away from leftism of that, like there eventually gets to a place where you realize some error injunctive that's going on that you face up to go, Oh, whoa, like this it doesn't actually work this way. And I think most people need to have a similar experience, whether it's with shit coins or gold or other things. And I think, Again, this is one of the things that as we move further out into time, Bitcoin is going to become so much more substantial about is that like when we're in the year 2100 and we go, look at Bitcoin, look at how it's performed over the last hundred years. Like what what inherently sets it apart from all other money systems? And people will be like, oh, yeah, like the supply schedules never been fucked with by anybody. Like, oh, wow. Like we can see that Satoshi Nakamoto's coins haven't been hacked at this point in time. And so to me, this is all a process about coming to the correct logical conclusions. And the only way we get to those correct logical conclusions is when we actually have the correct way of thinking, like in a deep, methodical, philosophical sense of trying to understand what the truth of value is and how that gets derived. And that's only going to happen once you start looking at different money systems and why they have different values and how those values produce themselves. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever lost faith in Bitcoin at any point? You know, you've been in, in it a long time. Is there any point where you where you feel like you've lost faith or you saw a potential existential danger there? Um, the block size wars were a bit scary. Um, I always felt pretty confident that things were going to work out how we wanted to. Um, at the time, I was at Coinbase, and so it was kind of scary to be inside of an institution that was like arguing against a lot of my core values, uh, which is ultimately why I left the company as well. Um, but no, you, you know, I'm like, that's one of the things that sort of deepened my faith each time. It's like each time I look at it and each time a problem comes up and each time it's dealt with, um, you know, because also like at the end of the day, like as I understand Bitcoin more and more. I realize more and more that like even with all the ways that the system can be fucked with that, like it, it frankly doesn't matter. 
because like now that the system's deployed, even if people fuck with it in a way that could destroy it, like we can always go back to the last block and like that, that's fine. As users, we always have that ability reserved for us. And that's like one of the really important things is understanding that politically, like as an individual, I have more power than the entire network alone. You know, if they deploy a fork that I think fucking sucks, I can run my own user resisted soft fork and like invite others to come along with it. And I think that, um, particularly in the world we're going out into, like there's probably going to be like a number of sophisticated social attacks that are done on Bitcoin. Uh, and like, while those will be like scary per se, uh, just like hammer fucking those things out of existence with a user activated soft fork or any number of other mechanisms, it's going to be really cool. Cause it's going to be like our flex to be like, look at how fucking strong we are. And I think that's going to remind people, oh, yeah, like this is our money system. It doesn't belong to anybody else. And anybody who comes in with their stupid ideas telling us how Bitcoin is supposed to be, they can just go fuck themselves. Uh, and so I think culturally, as this develops and we see this flex more and more, like that's going to empower us to realize that like there's something truly political going on here and that us tolerating the the obscene amount of bullshit that has happened in our lives monetarily, economically, financially, and socially because of the rampant corruption in this area that uh, we're going to stand up, we're going to flex hard, and we're essentially going to reclaim all of these different areas of our lives that were never supposed to be uh, sacrificed to governments. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, it is the ultimate go fuck yourself, you know, and, and this is the thing, like, this is what I think a lot of people in the freedom community who haven't come to Bitcoin yet. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the go fuck yourself option. And, you know, I really want them to to find Bitcoin because the thing is, you know, if someone comes around to, to your, your house, like with guns, and they find your gold, like they've, they've got your gold, you know, if someone... If you try to get on a plane and take it to another country, right? And someone says, sorry, we're taking that. Or sorry, you can't get on a plane with this much wealth. Like, you know, you're fucked. But you, you, they can't do that with Bitcoin, right? Like nobody can come and know whether you've got a, a seed phrase in your in your brain, right? Um, it is the ultimate kind of go fuck yourself option. Even if someone is putting a gun to your head and they say, you know, hand over your Bitcoin, you can still say go fuck yourself. It's not like, uh, you know, they can literally physically take it from you. You, you ultimately are, are always in control. You, you have the complete ability to consent that like you have to consent to your own, to the theft of your own wealth. And that, that's something we've, we've never had before. One of the other interesting ones is that like the, this also puts us into a, a predicament where like we must take full sovereignty and responsibility for our wealth. Cause like, Great example is us being out there as individuals in the world who speak about Bitcoin. Well, somebody could show up to our house with a shotgun and be like, give me all your Bitcoin. I can go, okay, like, you know, he, here's my Bitcoin. They're like, hey, this is like, this is only a tenth of a Bitcoin. Like, you probably have more. Well, one, like, how do I fucking convince you I actually do or don't have more? Uh, so, okay, like, I give you a Bitcoin now. Now you're like, well, you obviously have more. Again, like, I don't have any way to prove that I do or don't have that. And with me knowing that, I can get into that predicament with somebody holding a gun to me being like, give me all your Bitcoin. Well, I probably need to think of more harder about that and how I want to set up my own security for it, you know? And so me personally, I have a number of people that live in my community that they, you know, we've been over essentially if I contact them in a certain way, they know to get over here ASAP with what they need. Uh, in addition to, you know, 
setting up my own household in a secure way that has me be responsible enough that if such events do come up, I have to take full responsibility. And I think that's one of the most simple places that a lot of people who want to be more self-sovereign don't think it all the way through is like the police aren't your friends. They're not designed to come and help you when you're in danger. They have no legal obligation to do that. And that's really important for people to understand because this is the second half of truly being responsible for our wealth is that if someone's threatening it, we must be responsible. We can't rely on antiquated and broken legal systems to protect us. Because same thing, if you have gold, the government shows up and steals it. The very best that you're going to get is they're going to give you some shitty fiat currency in response to that, you know? Um, And so I just think maintaining thoughtfulness about in those crisis situations and how we move through them is really, really important because I think most of us have been pretty immature for most of our lives and how we interact with society and not taking that full responsibility of how am I going to deal with these emergency situations when they come up? Yeah. So you mentioned um, before about social attacks against Bitcoin that either you, you know you see coming or there's the potential down the line. What do you think is the, the most significant social attack vector that we're facing right now? Uh, KYC Bitcoin. Uh, I think the way that we do a full 6102, uh, the way that a, like a full 6102 attack happens in this day and age is essentially that like, spin up the narrative that like North Korea owns all of the Bitcoin and that they're, you know, burning children alive in order to power their Bitcoin miners and that Bitcoin is absolutely evil and that we have to, you know, and in addition to like, it's destroying the environment because, you know, it's burning, whatever. It's all of these Bitcoin is evil and terrible. We need to make sure that it is financially surveilled in a positive way. Uh, And we're going to put pressure on all Bitcoin miners in the United States to merge in this fork that's going to allow for us to have full KYC on chain. Like maybe fucking Craig Wright helps out with it. I don't know. Um, And I think as that comes out, Bitcoiners are going to need to stand up and say, no, like this is a full government sponsored attack. We need to refuse to participate and involve ourselves with them. Uh, And I actually think that like this is where stuff starts to become political is when when the government engages in that social attack, I don't think what they realize is that like they're actually going to destroy themselves doing that. Because I actually think like this is a place that it gets to a final pushing point with a class of people that aren't willing to be pushed like that anymore. And furthermore, as far as I can tell, we seem to have been preparing ourselves from a vanguardist standpoint for the last decade, waiting for that moment. So that when it does come, we can say full scale, we're not participating, we're not going to do it. You know, we're going to create our own political collective to resist this and fight back. Uh, And I feel relatively confident about it. I think as things develop more and more, we're going to find that Bitcoin on a whole is going to become a political shilling point that a new political class can collectivize around. And I think it's going to look very different from being left or right. It's going to be something, frankly, quite new and much more fitting for our time with a global digital internet available to everybody. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's... um, I I don't think that that attack would work there because you'd have to have every single miner on board, right? So even if you you could get every single miner in the USA 
to do it, it you could like anyone can mine anywhere in the world right so it would have to be a global uh strategy yeah and, and i think governments are stupid enough that they don't they don't realize or understand that like like this is the funniest thing is that like they approach the chessboard thinking that there's like still plays that they can make and they don't realize that like we've had them in checkmate for a while and we've just been waiting for them to become present to what's going on on the board you know and so that's also why i think these attacks will be carried out and will fail ultimately is because and like this is the other thing that that is almost laughable to me at this point in time is that like Every time I watch these politicians start talking about money and economics and finance and Bitcoin, uh, like they unveil themselves to be absolute fucking morons. Uh, and it's really amazing to me that for so long, people have blown smoke up each other's ass about all of these. Things. And like a great example is like Ben Bernanke winning the fucking Nobel Prize in economics. It, like it is so laughable. Like nobody has done a greater job of fucking up the general global economy than Ren Bernat and like he, he gets the Nobel prize for that. Like, come on. But I guess that's like fitting in so far that the Nobel prize was literally made by the guy who's responsible for doing more destruction on the planet than anyone else. So, um, yeah. I, and, and for me, this is part of my approach and theory about all of this is that like, this is all sort of this ludicrous slapstick joke at this point in time. You know, the fact that like we live in a fucking reality where magic internet money has to rescue us from the fucking nihilism of this place. Like that shit's funny. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, so I've heard you talk before uh, when you kind of really, really go a bit dark pill on where you think the, the fate of, of Bitcoiners is um, with regards to governments. Because as we know, when the social attacks fail and the political attacks fail and everything, ultimately violence is the last resort. And I've heard you say before that, you know, you think that one day Bitcoiners getting black bagged is, is you know, not necessarily an unlikely thing. Could you uh, go into that a bit? Uh, not much to say beyond the fact that like, I think that as economic crisis comes along, I think major Bitcoin players who are known to hold significant amounts of Bitcoin, I think are going to find themselves on the back end of government programs to get those Bitcoins. And I think that, uh, and again, this is all like really dark and I hope none of this happens, but like, I can see a world where like the dollar is in total free fall. We have no capacity to respond to that at all. Uh, like we're really fucked because like our energy problems are really extreme and like we must buy energy in order to get our military going. Um, and like, that's the place where they're like, go find, you know, like go find Eric case and put a fucking black bag over his head and rip his fingers off until you get all of his Bitcoin. Uh, and that would totally suck. Cause like, I'm not going to give him my Bitcoin. My friends who, you know, are part of my multi sake aren't going to help him out with that. And I think more than anything, we need to be prepared for if and when those things happen, how are we actually going to politically respond? And again, like this is all super scary and I hope none of this is true. But if it does happen, Bitcoiners should probably be thoughtful about how do we respond to governments, whether it is American, Chinese, European, Argentinian, whoever, what do we do if they pass laws saying we have a right to expropriate Bitcoin from individuals? You know, and that that's not a question for me to answer. That's a greater question I pose to the, the entire Bitcoin community is if and when those things happen, how are you going to collectively respond to it with other Bitcoiners in your own community? 
Um, my hope is, is that, you know, we essentially set up defense leagues to protect one another, but I honestly can't predict how something like that plays out in the long run. Yeah. It, it almost kind of reminds me of the, the story of, you know, the founding of America and, and, you know, the American civil war and stuff like that, because it's like, you know, that was essentially just people saying, you know, we're not going to take anymore and kind of shooting off and kind of almost just like forking off and saying, no, like, you know, like the answer is no, and we'll kind of like go to the death. And then you form this kind of like entire new structure, which ultimately ended up becoming the, you know, that became the power structure in America. And I could see a similar thing happening in Bitcoin where Bitcoiners ultimately say, no, like we're, you know, we're, we're saying no. And that, that final no will be the kind of the final death blow to the, the, you know, prevailing power structure of the time. And then you, that's when you really have a new power, power structure emerge under a Bitcoin standard. Well, and, and I would point out, it wasn't just the power structure of America. Like this modified the power structure of the entirety of the world. You know, the fact that Thomas Jefferson had a deep relationship with the French and participated in writing the rights of man as well goes to show how significant this revolution was because it wasn't just reserved to America. It went to Europe and then swept through and caused for the Napoleonic revolutions and other things. And there's a really wonderful quote from John Adams where he says something to the effect of like the, the fact that God laid hidden in the world, the providence that the American continent would be discovered as a solution to the misery and uh, like boredom of Europe and the sort of closure that seemed to have created it around the European continent at the point in time. It's like nothing short of miraculous. And I think the same thing that's going on with the internet and Bitcoin right now is the same is because like the fact that these geriatric dinosaurs are trying to tell us how to run uh, this extremely powerful apparatus that they clearly have absolutely no fucking clue how it works. And the fact that they have allowed for rampant panoptic surveillance to happen without them understanding how any of it works uh, is ludicrous and insulting. And I really hope like in the 22nd century, like our kids will like read in history books. They'll be like, wow, dad, they just like surveilled everything all the time. And like, they didn't have to justify anything to anybody, did they? And we're like, no, it was absolute bullshit. And then like the 2030s came along and we're like, fuck that. We hunted all those guys down and hung them because that's what had to happen. But, you know, it was only before Nuremberg three that like things like that really got happening. Um, yeah, and, uh, essentially in the world that I want to see come out is that as these pushings happen, uh, like essentially we get some new global political collective um, that in a lot of ways sort of rhymes with communism uh, and in that like it is a global international proletariat movement to collectivize people to all participate in a single new system. And I think the response to that is going to create something pretty radical and new that is going to almost sort of look like uh, how the sovereignty of the Holy Roman Empire looked over Europe of that. Like it is a large, loose formed network that then at a more localized level, you have pretty powerful state entities and then like pretty powerful communal entities. Uh, and so here in the United States, I would really love to see an inverting of the power structure so that like essentially like the 10th amendment actually fucking means something again. And that like states actually have some degree of meaningful sovereignty once again. 
And that, what is the Tenth Amendment? Most of my audience is, is English, so I probably won't know that. Okay, the, the Tenth Amendment of the United States explicitly reserves uh, that any power not enumerated to the federal government in the United States Constitution is explicitly and only reserved for states. And so before the American Civil War, states had very strong senses of sovereignty, which is why some states had slavery and some states didn't. But at the end of the Civil War, essentially, the Tenth Amendment was sort of swept aside and the federal government was able to say, we have full sovereignty over states. And we've moved forward with that all the way through till now. With We have an extremely powerful central government that states have very little capacity to resist. And I would like to see those inverted from one another, where states assert their sovereignty in such a way that the federal government can't resist to them. Um, and furthermore, that like I very much actually see the Bitcoin is really the expansion of the American project in an international sense, in my opinion, that like it expands the pragmatism and rights that were originally enumerated in the American movement into a digital age. And something that we really need as well, particularly if we're going to have a peaceful 21st century that involves everyone. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I see a lot of similarities there as well. Um, so just just uh, rounding up a bit, um, normally I try to try to end on more positive notes, but I'm not going to force you to be positive. <laughs> I'm going to force you to be uh, positive on these things. But like, how do you see the world generally just zooming out a bit, like, you know, where everything's going? Are you, are you positive about the future? Are you optimistic? Um, like just with where we are generally and where we're going, how, how do you feel about everything that's happening? Uh, it's funny. And this is, this is kind of common for my life. Like when I like look out externally in the world, like it, it's pretty dark right now, you know, like there, there's a, there's a lot of really concerning issues. Um, but like inside of those concerning issues, like I have a very deep sense of hope uh, and most of it comes from Bitcoin and the way that I see Bitcoiners addressing and dealing with the world. Um, and, you know, like the truth is, is that like we're just going through the cycles of history and we seem to have caught a very particular and unique point in time that uh, not only is the Internet here developing, becoming much more robust and powerful, but now we have this digital money that functions inside of it. And for me, the long-term ramifications of these two things really solve most problems. Uh, the biggest part is, is people really coming to realize their own power and self-sovereignty in that and us building the tools in order to actualize that, you know, to, to me, the other thing is, is like Bitcoin is so immature and young at this point in time. And so many very powerful tools are just in their sort of neonatal stage um, and so for me, like watching the development of the lightning network and all of the tools that are going to be built on top of that in the future is going to be really powerful and interesting. Cause like I, I foresee in 10 years, like we're going to have a version of Twitter that's built on top of lightning that, you know, like there is no censorship that can be involved because of the way that it is literally just a protocol. Um, so, I mean, like, while I talk about a lot of really dark stuff, like, personally, I'm really excited and positive because, you know, like, on another front, like, I do a lot of stuff in the realm of psychedelics and seeing people being open to trying and experimenting with these things and seeing the way that it radically shifts their world in a really positive way uh, is really great and positive for me, you know, because, like, from that side, like, a lot of how I feel and exist in the world is sort of like on this different plane of existence. Like to me, most of this stuff is all 
pretty superfluous and fake. And that like the, the deepest truth and realness we experience is like inside of ourselves and the nothingness that can be experienced in those spaces. So I feel really positive because like underneath the surface of, of what seems to be pretty negative and dark stuff, there's a lot of really cool and interesting and positive stuff going on. You just sort of need to get under the current of, you know, contemporary society to see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think that at this point as well in history, like people are just moving away so fast from traditional institutions. Like you almost wouldn't believe just two years ago or whatever. I think that COVID was a, a kind of a real checkpoint for this is just the amount of trust that's been lost in things like, uh, you know, traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals. And in all of these things, I think that people, you know, the media, people are looking for an alternative. And I think that, you know, Bitcoiners are this group that's kind of been there, like just, I guess, you know, planning and preparing and not, not even necessarily pl planning, but just existing and growing. Um, that's kind of been ready to catch a lot of this, uh, these people who are, who are now turning away from the traditional institutions. It's like, it's like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is there. And I think that money's the next thing to go. You know, people have lost faith in traditional, you know, media and traditional academia, um, you know, in traditional, uh, kind of pharmaceuticals and stuff. And I think that money, money is about to go through that as well. I think we're like on the cusp of that right now with everything that's happening in the world. And I think that Bitcoin is there kind of waiting to, to catch those people. And honestly, I think that, you know, there's going to, we are going to move into a Bitcoin era, I think, you know, I think that all like so many, like smart and well read people have found their way to Bitcoin and people who have like true principles as well, like it just seems to be um, a place for a kind of like a place that all these uh, different people with um, these, you know, different experiences stuff and different views, but just like super um, intelligent people end up, um, you know, and, and that's kind of one of the things that makes me always constantly um, come back to like, I believe in this thing and I don't lose faith in it because I look at everyone around and it, I just see so much amazing conversation and intelligent, you know, discussion happening around it. I'm just like, we must be on, we, you know, this must be right. You know, it's not just me. It's not just me and everyone else is a complete kook. It's like, yeah, like there's so many intelligent people in this space, you know? Well, it's not just intelligence, but it, it, it's this alternative form of intelligence too. Like the, the conversation and the synergy that I witness in the Bitcoin space, you know, are head and shoulders above anything else that I see. And the thing that I appreciate the most is that, uh, like, it seems to have purged a lot of sort of the normie shit going on in society from it, which I think is really important because, uh, sort of like the the liberal scientificness that like presents itself and say like TED Talks and shit, like I fucking despise like i absolutely hate that shit because it's all of this lobotomized form of thought that like you, you know like these are the guys that are like ha ha like magic internet money bitcoin like that could never work like we have to have you know governments and cops running it or it's just crazy chaos all the time and like yeah, I hate that shit. And so seeing Bitcoiners come in who can like logically address these points and be and and integrate, you know, like all of these different areas, whether it's philosophy, justice, uh, economics, finance, whatever, they seem to bring all of these different components in. Yeah. And so 
you know, like I, I see a, a bloom or a blossom happening right now that's very similar to the enlightenment. You know, like this is right time, right place, right technology, right people, right everything. And so like we're watching this wave come through where the consciousness of people is being raised because they can't just rudimentally trust institutions who are undeserving of the, that trust anymore. And this is causing for this ontological thought process of like, well, who am I in the world? Like, what does it mean that money is this corrupt? What does it mean that my government is this corrupt? Like that these sort of crimes against humanity are performed? What can I do against that? And I think all of these contemplations coming together with Bitcoin allow for this very powerful response that, um, yeah, I honestly think probably in a few decades here, we'll look back at these times and go, wow, you know, like everything was so young and changing so fast. And, you know, like who even knew that all of the things that would come about and change in our day would, would happen. So, yeah, you know, like it, it's dark out there right now, but like that darkness is just what comes before the light of dawn. So I, I feel pretty excited and optimistic, uh, particularly if I don't necessarily sound like it in a lot of interviews, I, I do have very deep sense of hope. So uh, I hope my negativity doesn't pull people down too much. No, I love it, man. That was, that was really well articulated. So that's a great point to round things off. So do you want to just let my listeners know where they can find you? Sure. I'm a loudmouth on Twitter. You can follow my handle, which is just Eric Kaysen, my name. Um, or you can find my website where I have a number of blog posts, and that's cryptosovereignty.org. I'm probably going to be releasing a book sometime in the next year. Uh, and I think I'm probably going to do like a podcast series about like each article because I'm realizing more and more for myself. Um, there's like a very long and complex philosophical dialogue that I want to have that like involves all of my essays as sort of a constellation, but I need to sort of get that out and established so I can move on to my next piece of work, which is really dealing with the ontological philosophy of Bitcoin and trying to understand how that is transforming us as humans. So if you have any interest in those sort of topics, please feel free to follow me and uh, I'm always happy to chat. So feel free to shoot a DM if you have some crazy ass questions for me. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.